right, all right. Welcome everybody to another episode with the Black Financial Initiative Podcast, where we are here to broaden your financial intelligence and teach you something new. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and kick it on to Larry to let you know a little bit about today's episode. All right. We have a great episode again, as always. Today, we got a special guest today. His, na- his name is Kendrick. He's a loan originator. Uh, he's an old friend of ours. All of us went to SFA together. Um, me and Kendrick actually went to church together. Didn't know each other that much when we went to church, but went to the same church. Shout out First Baptist Church in Hamilton Park. Played sports together um, at SFA, Stephen F. Austin, Axum Jacks. Axum. Axum. Kendrick, what's the name of that team? Uh, America's Most One. In the real flag football team, yeah, man. All right. I don't know if Kendrick, if you remember this, you actually kind of introduced me to real estate in a way. We both worked at Nation Star. You actually, right. um, you actually the one who, um, I guess, told me about Nation Star, and, and and I applied and everything. Started working there for a little bit. So, Kendrick Jackson, loan originator. How you doing today, sir? Hanging in there, brother. Appreciate y'all having me, man. It's a pleasure. Already, already. Well, we're gonna start off real easy. Um, just ask you a first question: What is a loan originator? So, a loan originator um, is basically, if you can think about, it, man, all these nets out here, man. Texas, I hate Texas, man. <laughs> all these nets out here, man. But no, um, <laughs> basically, a financial advisor for like refinances, purchases. So, basically, we're the middleman in between the bar and the underwriter or the lender, what it would, what you would call the creditor. So we're pretty much just kind of the same thing as like the finance department of the car industry. You know, you got your salesman. We're not really necessarily the salesman. We're kind of both the salesman and the finance person in the car industry as well, because we're working up your finances, trying to make sure that you can get financially approved. And then at the same time, we're pitching you different options on what you qualify for. So it's all kind of one and the same. But basically, the loan officer is the middleman between the customer, the client. Uh, the buyer, the purchaser, or the purchase, the person that's refinancing their home, we're that middleman in between them, them and the lender. Cool. And so would I would I come to you, I guess, for the for the loan? Like you have, I guess, your system of who you work with, the different, different Yeah, so in- basically it's a, yeah, so basically no matter no matter who, because some loan originators work for brokers that are uh, broker shops that are just like literally they're just kind of almost like freelance, not freelance, but they just don't have an actual lender set. They have multiple lenders. Mm-hmm. So like with my company I work with now is Guaranteed Rate. They have, mm-hmm. you know, Goldman Sachs. They work with Wells Fargo, Chase, okay. Bank of America. So they have different lenders, not just Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, because those are the two big conforming. But then you have FHA, you have VA, you have USDA. So you have a bunch of different options that you could you can go through um, as far as lenders. But it's basically more so what you're going to qualify for. Do you work okay. with all those different loans? Like, the FDA, USDA. I, I work with every single one of them. Yep. Okay. Yep. Every single one of them from the biggest to the smallest jumbo VA, FHA, USDA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Oh. And even like Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, Chase, we work with them as well. So it's just pretty much what, who you'll qualify for, what fits you, um, what's going to fit you the best. Okay. So as a loan originator, how do you become one? So it's, it's, it's actually kind of simple and easy, but it can be complex because there are a lot of different requirements that you need to be a loan originator. So basically you have to do a criminal background check. A lot of people don't, a lot of people, a lot of companies do that in general, right? But they're looking mm-hmm. for fraud and they're also looking at your actual credit. So if you've had any type of felony or misdemeanors that have to do with 
you know, fraud, then that can affect you from qualifying. And then also um, things as for as derogatory debts on your credit report. So like crazy enough, my credit was not the best. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty, it was decent, but it, w- it wasn't bad because if you got bad credit, you're not going to, you're not going to, nobody's going to hire you. Know what I'm <laughs> hey, real, straight real up quick, and down, man. Real quick. Yeah. We just did an episode on uh, credit scores. And I think oh, Eric real? said the same thing. Eric said the same thing. There was a, there was a job he applied for. If your credit was bad, they weren't going to hire you. So that's a fact. That's a fact. That's some. That's how most companies. That's how mo- I'm going to say most companies, but like a lot of companies are. But with loan officers, it's like I would say about ninety percent about your credit. Like if you have wow. bankruptcy, you have foreclosures on there, you have repossessions, anything like that, they're going to question you about it, and they're going to be like, "All right, nope." X that you know what I'm saying because it's like when I first came in I got I got the job but then I could get licensed for some particular states so sometimes you have to take individual yeah you have to take individual state tests so there's one test that's through NMLS which is the National Mortgage License Servicing so that right there is pretty much the first step is getting qualified through them and then getting your NMLS ID number but with that being said, once you take that unified state test, then you have to take individual tests. So uh, Florida used to have an individual test. Now they've done away with that. I think Utah, they have one. Um, a lot of states have kind of combined it together where you don't have to take the individual, t- individual tests anymore. Mm-hmm. But you have to take a test, number one. Once you pass that test, then some states require an individual test to get those states. But, man, it's a, it's a tedious process. The test was not easy at all. I, I passed by the grace of God, literally by the grace of God. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I failed every single man. I failed every single practice test, man, by like a like with a 40 or 50, bro. And then all you have to do is make a 75 to, you know, to pass, and I got an 80. So that Ooh, was all. Won't he do it? Grace of God. Yeah. <laughs> I prayed, man. Literally, I prayed, man. As while I was taking the test, I prayed before the test, and then I prayed right <laughs> after the, right before the score. And I was like, "Lord, please let this." And I was just like, I was shocked, man. I couldn't believe it. But yeah, man, it's it's literally a lot of steps, man. But it's actually a lot easier than what people expect. Um, as long as you have decent credit, you don't have a lot of derogatory debts on your your credit report, like tax lien stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No criminal uh, record as far as uh, with fraud. You know, you can have a misdemeanor for a brawl in a, in a bar because I'm pretty sure a lot of loan officers with a job like this, you're going to drink. So you're going <laughs> to definitely have some stress. You're going to definitely have some stress. But if, as long as you have a, a pretty good record and credit, you'll, quali- you'll qualify to go ahead and take your test. And if you take the test and you pass it, it's all, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all she wrote. So, so it's not like the test is the, uh, yeah. the main thing. Is there any certifications or anything other than, you know, the test? No. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you still have your your renewals that you have to do. So you still have to take um, a course every single year. There's no other test that you have to take. You don't have to take tests. I mean, you take them online, but it's like that cheat or repeat process, man. You just going to pull up all old answers and stuff like that. Hey, call up your boss. And, hey, what's what's the answer? You know, it's, it's nothing, man. It's just like little it's just like little certifications that you do at the end to do like 20 hours. So we have to sit in the class for oh, eight hours straight continuous education. education yeah you have to sit in the class for eight hours straight man. you have uh three hours of federal law you have um two hours of ethics then you have two hours of training which is traditional and non-traditional you know different mortgage products out there and then you have 
another 12 hours of just some other stuff. You know what I'm saying? Just it's, it's a bunch of different bunch of different trainings that you have to go through on a regular basis, on a yearly basis, that is. And for every individual state, you have to do the same thing. So you have to do one course for just the actual, you know, national license. And then you have to do, you know, some more training for those individual states. So I'm talking about maybe about at least about 48 hours of, of training courses that you got to do. So you just have to break them up and be strategic with it. But I mean, it, it's, it's, it's doable. I mean, of course it's doable, but it gets kind of hectic. And you're saying this is for the continuous education or is this for continuous. Okay. continuous education? So the first part is just passing the test. Once you pass the test, you're good. You're good for a year with those uh, with those states. But then every single state wants you to, you know, refresh your memory because, you know, mortgage laws change literally. Every, I mean, I would say literally every day. There's always something coming up because they'll say um, as far as qualification guidelines. You know, it used to be 50% DTI and then, okay, now it's 45% DTI or now it's 40% DTI, especially with the pandemic. It, that, that affected a lot of different requirements for people to qualify for mortgages. So we have to know those things going into that, you know, that year, that fiscal year. Now, speak, speak to us. What's DTI? So DTI is your debt to income. So your debt to income is basically the ratio of your expenses and your, um, and your income. So you're making $8,000 a year, but you have a $1,000 car payment a month, $2,000 a rent or $2,000 in your mortgage, then it's going to affect, that's going to factor out your debt to income. And then also debt to income is based on credit cards. People don't know this, but it's not based on your cell phone. It's not based on your utility bills. It's not based on your, um, you know, anything that's not showing on your, your credit report, like, uh, and then why, like Wi-Fi all that type of stuff, man, it, that's, that doesn't affect your debt to income. It's literally just credit report, what's on your credit report. So credit cards, anything that you, you know, you pay with credit, mortgage, you know, your mortgage will affect your debt to income if you're trying to refinance. So car note and then child support, you know, any ex excessive obligations, things like that that you have to pay alimony, child support, that will affect your debt to income as well. All right, fellas out there listening. He, he said a child supporter gets you caught up. So <laughs> right, facts, man. facts, bro. Facts. Hey, we don't discriminate. We don't discriminate. It might be uh, the ladies too now. Right. Hey, hey, hey you ain't lying. You ain't it's lying. a fact, man. It's a fact. Yeah. Uh man, I was curious about the, the test. So uh, you gave us a little bit of info as far as the detail on the continuous edu education, but as far mm -hmm. as getting ready and prepped for that initial test, besides prayer, uh, do you have any uh, <laughs> other ad advice or like how does someone uh, kind of get into the field and, and know what to study for? Okay, so the MLS, they'll definitely prep you. They give you a lot of training courses, this thing called uh, on-course learning. So they have a whole setup to where you can do the practice test. That's where I took most of my, my practice tests on and they set me up pretty good because they give you note cards, they give you um, a bunch of practice tests, study guides, a whole booklet. So that's the main key to passing the test. As long as you're going off of what's in that on-course learning, then you're pretty much set. Like, I'm not going to lie, my trainer, when I first came in, was horrible. I mean, just it was a know-it-all, you know, but he didn't really know how to train us the right way because, I mean – yeah, I'm just going to put it this way. He was an asshole, straight up. Like, he just straight <laughs> up and down, man. He wasn't – bro, he just thought he knew it all. But at the end of the day, the on-course learning is what kind of saved me 
And then, you know, relying on people that are in the industry. So if you have friends that are actually in this industry, they have a lot of knowledge. You know, it, I mean, we don't actually know 100 percent of what's on the test, but we can give you a glimpse of what we actually saw on the test and what what to look for. You know what you might need to key on when you're looking at your training uh, information. Kendry, this this is a family uh, friendly podcast. You know, oh, so. my bad. So, so I should have asked, asked before. I should have asked you before. Get to- I got a potty mouth. I got a potty. Hey, man, you can bleep this out, man. Go ahead and bleep this out. No, nah, you good. You good. You good. I'm so, how did, I guess, how did you ended up transitioning into the, the, the field? Was that something you always had your eye on from college or after school? Man, I, I was, to be honest with you, I started off in pre-pharmacy when I was at SFA, man. And hey, hey, was really, out, yeah, man. I know, man. I know, man. And it, it didn't work out like that, though, man. It didn't work quite work out that way, man. Lost hey. my scholarship, man. Was playing football, man. Was just majoring in alcohol, girls, and partying at, at first semester, man. And it, it, it screwed me up. So I had to, you know, I talked to my advisor, Sheena McAfee. I'll never forget this woman, man. Black woman at, uh, black, one, one, of the, one of the very few black advisors at SFA. And she just kept it 100 with me, man. She was like, hey, you know, you need to switch to something that's a little bit simpler. What do you want to do? And I was just like, you know, I would not, I wouldn't mind owning my own business. I want to, you know, learn the business, you know, business side of things in the industry. So, um, you know, she was like, maybe business management. And I went to business management and then got into um, a few different jobs, ended up working at Nation Star, Mr. Cooper. That's where my, you know, my first start into the mortgage industry was at. And I learned a lot there. I started doing collections you know, loss mitigation, helping people to stay in their homes. And then I went over to foreclosure, which helped close on people's, you know, close on people's homes and taking people's <laughs> homes away. So, it, it, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it sounds like a bad thing, but it's a, it was a good thing to learn both sides of the, the, the industry. Then, you know, got promoted up into the sales part, doing being a loan officer, by the grace of God, passed that test. And that's all she wrote. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hey, man. I, I was uh, the preform also after, <laughs> so I I feel the struggle. I feel the man, struggle. Man, man. I mean, I mean. Obviously, I'm no pharmacist, so let, let that say what it <laughs> is. <you know>? Right. <laughs> so let that be known. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right, man. I'm uh, I'm curious. I have a question for you. Uh, so, what do you look for in a potential home buyer to get approved? Man, the biggest thing in getting qualified for a mortgage is your credit. Some different lenders have, you know, down payment assistance, you know, you have those programs, first time home buyers, but if you don't have the credit, you're not going to qualify. And that's what people lack because they don't know what their credit scores are. They go on credit karma, they trust credit karma to know what the credit is. And, you know, they just hope to get approved. But for FHA, which is not the best program, but it's just a start, you know, just to get you in a home, you only need like a 550, 550 to 580. But 620 is where you want your credit to be. You want it to be 620 high. You want it to be seven 700s, you know, just to be honest. You know, average credit right now is like 680 to 720. Like, people don't even know that. You know, they're thinking, oh, my 650 or my my 670, you know, my my 700 credit score is a great credit score. No, that's average. Like, I, mm-hmm. I run credit every single day, and I see people in 800s all the time. I see people in 500s a lot. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. it's just – the credit is the key right now. You know, people say, you know, cash is king. That's absolutely right. You need cash as well. Um, you need assets. You know, if you're looking to come in as a first time home buyer, you're buying your second home or investment property, you know, you're, you're going to need assets regardless of the fact, you know, it's not always going to work out down payment assistance. You might not qualify. 
You might make too much money, but you have poor credit and you don't have a lot of cash assets. Now, So now what do you do? You're stuck. So having good credit is great, but having assets is key. Having assets along with credit is going to help you get you in a home, point blank period. I, I don't know how many people I, I talk to on a daily basis that have great credit and they hope that they can put like 2% down or no money down because they have great credit. It doesn't work like that. Based on your income, you may not qualify for any down payment assistance. You may actually have to put 5% down, which is the minimum. FHA is 3.5% to put down. But 5% is a lot of money if you're looking to buy a $300,000 house. You see what I'm saying? So in situations like that, people just have to be um, cognizant. You know, what you have in your savings account is going to be important. That's going to determine the next few you know, next few years of your life because of the fact that the average American, you know, right now is going to have somewhere around $2,000 in their savings account. And that seems like a lot of money to a lot of people, but it's really not. Especially with our people, black people, they have on average about $1,100 in their account, a little over $1,100 in their savings account, right? Hispanics, they have $1,500 in their account. Caucasians, they have about $4,000 in their savings account. And then, you know, other, when you go to the Asians and Arabics and, you know, any other ethnic race outside of those categories, they have about $5,000 in their account. You see what I'm saying? That just shows you how, you know, how financially illiterate we are as a people. And we have to understand that cash is going to be key and king. Now, credit is key, but we all know cash is king. So whatever you have saved up, Keep saving, keep stacking. Don't think that it's enough because just because your credit, your credit's not going to save you in every in every single situation. You know, you can only buy so much in credit. And then once you start doing that, your credit's going to start dropping. But if you have cash, it's ownership. That brings you ownership. You see what I'm saying? If you just have everything on credit, you don't own anything. You can have as many cars you want, as many, you know, <laughs> rent houses as you want. But at the end of the day, you don't own it. The bank can turn over and tell, you know, if the, in, uh, the market cr- crumbles it kind of like it did, you know, in, uh, I think, 2012, then at that point in time, you're screwed. You see what I'm saying? You're in a situation, especially with the pandemic, a lot of people were selling their homes. They had no choice but to sell their homes. Mm-hmm. So they kind of put you in a financial, you know, a, a financial bind where you don't own anything. You don't have anything that you can actually sell. That boy, Kendrick, preaching, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. man. He's hitting <laughs> on. Brought the, brought the stats with him. I like it. Right. Yeah. He hit on all on the big three right there. So basically, I mean, like, from, from what I gather from listening to you, like you can have good credit, but if you can't bring enough to that down payment on your cash wise or whatever, or you're not making enough Absolutely. income, it still can't, it might not be enough to get you across the finish line and then vice versa. You got, you bring in a lot of cash, but you have poor credit. Somebody like, well, you can put this much down, but I still don't trust you to pay the rest <laughs> down the road. And That's then, a fact, man. That's a fact. Assets. So, so the big three, I guess. Is- That's a fact. Do you all look into also, um, I guess, like reserves, like what he was saying, like I have my down payment? That's a good question. I meant to, I meant to touch on that as well. So it's reserves are very important. That's the key as well. So most most times you're looking at like six months, six months reserves on average, especially with refinancing purchases, sometimes six months reserves, especially with like those bigger lenders um, like Goldman Sachs and Bank of America and Chase, Wells Fargo, they're going to require reserves. They, they care about what you have in your, your checking and your savings. Even your 401k 
in your IRA. They can use that stocks and bonds. You can use that anything that's liquid, you know, anything that you can okay. just pull from, you can use that as, as a reserve. So that definitely helps out a lot. A lot of people don't, don't know that, but you know, you look, if you, you need to check your 401k, see what's in your 401k, because at the end of the day, you may end up shocked. You know, you may end up, some people end up having a heart attack looking at their 401k because they'd be surprised how much money is actually in there. But that's your <laughs> money. You can pull out, you can pull out. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's with penalties. Sometimes it's without penalties. A lot of people don't know that, especially if you don't work for a company. You know, you were working for a company for 10 years and you move on to another company. You can actually go in that 401k and pull and all you have to do is pay taxes on it. You may not get penalized at all. Um, but if you're working for a company, mm -hmm. let's say you're working with a company, you've been there for like 25 years and you see over 100K in there you want to take out, then you're going to get penalized for it. So sometimes people just end up taking a loan off their 401k and use that to put on a down payment on their home. You can do that as well. So absolutely. And with all these like kind of, I guess, techniques, like do you advise them on doing that or do you not? Like, do you not consult with people? It's either you got it or you don't. I can help you or not. Or do you tell them, hey, yeah, absolutely. these are different things you can do? Absolutely, man. So um, to be honest with you, I definitely consult with people about what they have because I tell people a lot mm -hmm. of the time, especially if they're looking to purchase a home and they already own a home, mm -hmm. if you're looking at using the um, the equity from the sale of the home, I mean, we can still use money from your 401k and your checking and savings to get you qualified, even if you haven't sold a home already or you don't know how much you're actually getting, you know? So it's contingent upon both. So you can say, oh, well, I'm actually going to use the money from my the sale of my home, but I'm going to use, you know, my checking savings and 401k as proof of my assets. We just want to mm -hmm. see, just, it's just, you just got to show proof. That's it. So it doesn't matter where the money comes from. If your your grandpops wants to give you some money, wants to gift you some funds, we don't care where the money's coming from. Just as long as you show proof of what you have, then it doesn't matter where you actually get the money from. So it doesn't matter, you know, how liquid it is. No, absolutely. So like, uh, let's, let's say that, um, like you have a truck that's worth a, a lot of money, you know, it's paid off in cash. Um, we can't use that as assets, but you can, like, we don't know where the money's coming from. If you can show proof, like you're not going to pull from your stock, you're not going to pull from your 401k, but you just use it as proof that you have the money, but you're actually going to get the money from the truck that you're going to get ready to sell. You're going to sell that truck and get an easy 5k from it. You get that money, you put it in the bank and we don't care where it's coming from. We don't care where you put it in there. It's, you already show proof that you can put the money up. So we don't care where you actually got the money from. So I guess as far as uh, that could be one one thing, kind of getting ahead of myself as far as how people can can prepare, like you said, using mm -hmm. some of your assets to get cash. But what other ways can someone uh, can our people prepare to get ready to get approved for a loan uh, to purchase a house man, or something like that? Credit restoration. Credit restoration is the number one thing, man, like especially, of course, savings, you know, save your money, stay in tune with your, your finances. Check your 401k, see how much you have in there. Check that stock that you have with AMC because it's booming right now. <laughs> um, but that for sure is staying in tune with your finances and credit restoration. So that's the first step that I took into getting a home. I had the cash assets, but I, I didn't know what my credit was. And I started going to all these credit companies. And I mean, yeah, you know, Credit Karma, you know, you have uh, Equifax, you have different experience, you have different companies that you can go to where they give you a glimpse of what your credit's looking at. But in reality, 
that's not where your credit is. They grade on a totally different scale. Let's say that your score is a 680, 690, and you, you get your credit ran and it's 605, you know? So mm-hmm. then at that point, people are, you know, they're, they're confused and up, upset, frustrated, which is understandable, you know, cause you're paying this $5, $10 a month for these credit companies to kind of tell you where your credit's at, but they're not giving you the realistic expectation. You need to go to an actual credit restoration company, find you somebody out there that's, you know, that knows how to repair credit, you know, send out those dispute letters and get things removed from your credit, show you how to get credit lines and things like that, which I mean, I can even do because um, there's, you know, most some, I'm not going to say all, but some um, loan officers have access to tools where they can actually do credit kind of a credit restoration themselves. Now they can't actually send out dispute letters for you, but they can show you what you can pay off on your credit report to, in order to increase your scores. Or maybe if you send a letter saying, Hey, you know, can you update this dispute? Or, Hey, can you update, you know, uh, my balance on this car loan or this credit card? And at that point, it'll help improve your scores. And it'll tell you if it's, you know, very likely or highly unlikely that you're, you'll be able to get your credit uh, repaired. But at the same time, you know, getting finding the expert that's good with credit is going to be the key. See where your credit scores are at. Figure out what you need to do to get your credit in the right position. And, you know, with credit, especially with credit lines, getting little credit cards, things like that. Those are definitely going to be key. Those are helpful. Interesting, because we just did an episode on credit and we were all kind of skeptical of like credit restoration mm-hmm. and everything. So it sounds yeah, like man. from your experience, they're legit. Yeah, man, for sure. For sure, for sure, man. It's 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 very important, man. But you just got to be careful, man, because you got people out there scamming, getting your information. People will say they'll fix your credit, they'll take your money. You're paying an upfront fee of you know five hundred dollars for somebody to fix your credit, and your credit score gets worse. You know what I'm saying? If your credit score gets worse, you got you you dealing with a scammer most definitely. <laughs> but uh, but, it, it, but in in that in that instance, you know, you just need to um, you need a you need to talk to a professional, make sure that you're actually dealing with a, you know, a certified credit repair company that is, this is what they do. If you have a family friend that you trust, you know, see what they can do. You mean, you can, you can pay them, you know, but don't pay them too much. People get their hopes up, hoping that people can do things, but just see their work, you know, check with, uh, you know, their, um, check the reviews, check with their customers, check with your other family. If you're going with a family friend, you know, see what they've actually done, see their work before you actually pay somebody out of pocket. Some good information. All right. That was some really good information from Kendrick. That was a part one of a two part interview with Kendrick Jackson, a loan originator with guaranteed rate. You can find him at Kendrick.Jackson at rate.com. That's K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K dot J-A-C-K-S-O-N at R-A-T-E dot com. His work phone number is 469-616-0466. His work line is 817-380-1909. Thank you for listening in. Listen to part two when it comes out. Thank you. Bye.